0: The Latter day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 160 of the Latter day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in again with us this week. Before we get into the episode, we want to thank our reviewers, as always. We had some awesome reviews on Apple Podcasts this week. Uh, I do want to thank Grateful Ranma, which sounds kind of like a play on grandma, I think. Uh, Great usernames. Uh, Frohe Oma, uh, Susie Q. Ward, as well as Jared A. Miller, and I'm assuming... That this Jared A. Miller is the same Jared A. Miller that we have coming up as a guest on the show. And he is amazing. I'm super excited about that. So that's a little tease for what we've got coming up uh, in a few weeks. But thank you to all of you for your five-star reviews and all of your kind words. We are very grateful for it. Uh, this week on the show, my guest, Gerald Simon is a just musical virtuoso. I don't know how else to describe it. He's a composer. He has published many piano books, and he's a performer and a speaker, and he has a podcast, and just the guy is amazing. And I'll tell you, I didn't really know Gerald. We had kind of traded some messages back and forth last year, but by the end of it, I was just so impressed, and I love Gerald. And I feel like we're friends now, you know, and actually I recorded this. You'll notice my audio is a little bit different, maybe not as good. I was in kind of an echoey hotel room as we were recording this over Zoom, but uh, Gerald is just a good man. You know, sometimes you meet people and you just pick up on their goodness. Gosh, Gerald is absolutely amazing. You will love hearing his amazing story. Uh, and this week in my Latter day Life, sometimes you got to unlearn things before you can learn them. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here on the Latter day Lives podcast, uh, it is my privilege to have. I'm I'm going to say musical genius. Uh, because I don't know about that. <laughs> I do know because I've done a little bit of homework on you and I'm blown away by your talents. My guest today on the show, Gerald Simon. Gerald, welcome to the show. Thank you so much.
1: It's it's an honor and a privilege
0: to be no, here. No, the honor is all mine. And I think we're going to see uh, very soon all of the gifts and talents you've been given. But before we get into all of the musical stuff that we are going to talk about, tell us a little bit about... Uh, where you, where, where you were born, where you grew up, and kind of just generally where you're from. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I am from Utah. I actually was
1: born in Ogden, Utah. And for the first six years, I lived in Roy, kind of the Sunset Roy area. And we moved to Pleasant View. Mm. My parents are Jerry and Denise Simon, and, and wonderful, wonderful parents. I have an amazing family. We moved to Pleasant View right after my kindergarten year, so right before going into first grade, and it, it was an amazing experience. Pleasant View, of course, is up by North Ogden yeah. in, in Utah. It's about 40 minutes away from Salt Lake City, but I don't really remember much before the age of eight. When I was eight years old, I actually fell off an almost 90-foot cliff. And as a result of that, I have no recollection of anything
0: before the age of eight. So you told me this, and I want, I want to clarify for our audience, no memory at all. You don't have, a hey, this one flash of when I was five, nothing at all before age eight.
1: I don't have any memories. I, I've seen pictures, and so I do have memories associated with the picture right. have Yeah. Because I, I don't remember an event happening, but I've seen the picture, so it's as if I remember the picture, and I had heard stories about it, so I know what happened. But I, I have no memory. And the interesting thing is, it was a week to the day after I was baptized a member of the
0: church. Wow. Wow.
1: So, I don't even remember my baptism. I've seen pictures. I know it happened. But
0: Gerald, that is so wild to me. All right, so let's let's talk this through. First of all, just a couple of quick tidying up things. Were were you uh, raised in the church?
1: Yes. My Well, it's interesting because my father is a convert to the church. Mm, awesome. And my mother essentially is a convert as well on my father's side. We don't have any members of the church. They are all strong, devout Catholics or a few other Lutherans. Or, On my mother's side, we have a few who have joined the church and been baptized, but most consider themselves atheists. So you're just baptized. How,
0: how many siblings did you have?
1: So I am the oldest of six. So there are <laughs> six siblings. I have a twin brother. His name is Josh. Hmm. So I've heard stories from my twin about what happened when I was younger and about the baptism,
0: but I personally don't remember. That's so amazing. So talk us through, because this is obviously, I mean, when I think about 90 feet, this is terrifying. We'd love to hear the story kind of behind this fall. Yeah. So what had happened,
1: it was in October, October 16th, on Pleasant View Drive, where we lived, up behind our house, There were several different rock formations, cliffs and different, you know, that we would camp out or we would hike up to. And there was one in particular, we always referred to it as snake pit, just because there were so (laughs) many snakes. What had happened is there was this rock jutting out of the ground and there was a pit, an enormous pit surrounding it. And when we were down there as these three little boys, my twin brother and a friend of ours... Someone had the idea, and I don't know who it was, but we thought it would be wonderful to see what it looked like from on top of the cliff. And so we all decided that we would have a race. My twin brother and my friend would both go out the sides, and they both would go up on the side to see who would get to the top first going around the backside. And I decided I would climb the face of the cliff. And so I, I do have one tiny little memory that pops in every now and then where I had made it about five feet from the top and I was on a ledge and my friend, my twin brother had beaten me to the top. They started throwing rocks and a friend of ours had grabbed a rock and went to throw it and it wasn't too big of a rock, but I do faintly remember looking up and seeing this rock hit me on the chest and knocked me from the ledge. And I blanked out what ended up happening. Our friend ran home, thankfully, to his parents and told them what had happened. And thankfully, they called 911 and they called my parents. My twin brother to this day, he can't even speak about this without tearing up. He, he came down and he found my body and he thought I was dead. He actually sat down, almost kind of crisscross, you know, and he lifted my head up and put my head in his lap. Wow. And, and my head was completely, of course, ripped open, you know, and he was trying to hold it together. I can't even imagine. A little eight-year-old boy trying to hold his twin brother's head together. And he said all he could do was pray the entire time. He was, you know, as a little primary boy, trying to say prayers. And he was trying to hold my head together. Now, in the meantime, the ambulance had been called, but they couldn't get up to where we were. They had to take a stretcher, and the paramedics had to hike up, and some firefighters arrived, and they had to hike up the mountain to get where we were. My mother... And father, they ran up as fast as they could to get to where we were. And it, it actually had been a difficult year for my parents. My father had fallen off our we, we had a garage down below our house, and he had fallen off that roof and broke his back. So he oh, was in a no. He was in a full body brace, had this upper body brace, and he was trying to go up the mountain. My mother ran up ahead. And when she first approached us, my twin brother and myself, she, she thought I was dead. And so she was hysterical, understandably, in trying to figure out how she would comfort my brother. They, and I did not find this out until later, I don't think I fell down the entire way. I, I think I would have died instantly. But I think what happened my body from my waist up was completely black and blue. Mm. And I think what had happened is I would fall down 10 or 15 feet and hit a side of a ledge.
0: Kind of tumble with, down.
1: Kind of, kind of tumble down with my body. And right. I, had, I had cuts and scars all over my body. There was barbed wire on this this rock. And, and I think the barbed wire would also, also slow me down, which wow. was a blessing. But I, I think because of that you know, falling 10 or 15 feet, hitting the side, and then falling another 10 or 15 feet. I think that saved me because even though I was black and blue all over my body, from my waist all the way up, I did not have any broken bones except for my head being. You are kidding
0: me. You had no broken bones. I had
1: no broken bones. My head was completely broken open, but I had no broken bones, which is a a miracle.
0: That is amazing. So and and your your skin on your scalp was all cut wide open. Right. Was there any damage to your to your skull itself?
1: So I had it was completely ripped open. They had 26 staples that they had to put in. I actually I part my hair down the center intentionally because I have a long scar that goes all the way down here
0: and oh in the back.
1: And so it's kind of an intentional part, but Because of that, of course, they put me in the ambulance and they they rushed me to the hospital. Now, my mother did not go in the ambulance. My father came in the ambulance with me. And this is the first real memory that I actually have. Mm. I remember being in the back of the ambulance and, of course, seeing all these lights and seeing these people above me wearing masks and gloves and, and, of course... There was red everywhere because I think I was bleeding so profusely. Yes, of course. And anytime you have a, a head trauma like that. But what had happened, I remember looking at all these people, and I remember looking up, and it was my father there. And I, I remember him saying very distinctly, it's okay, everything's going to be okay, I'm here. And, wow. And that's kind of my my rebirth, my my new life, you know, yeah. be, being born essentially again, not remembering the first eight years of my life and starting over.
0: That is amazing, Gerald. Unbelievable. So you go on this path of recovery then, mm-hmm. which, you know, I mean, I still can't believe you didn't break a bone. That's, I mean, that's a miracle. That's in and of itself. In and of itself, it, it's miraculous. Did that, did that create any kind of fear of heights or fear of, you know, for other people to fall? Did it create, I mean, that kind of trauma, I would think it would.
1: Honestly, for me personally, it did not. I, I was never afraid of heights mm. for myself personally. But with younger siblings or or people who would get close to an edge, I was very protective. I bet, I was, Yeah. Because of that experience. And what is so interesting, and this is another experience on top of this, that kind of built on top of the fall, I was in second grade when this happened. Of course, it was a week to the day after I was baptized, but when I went back to school and started actually going back to school, I I had this big, it was almost like a cast that they had put on my head. Mm. And and of course the little kids would make fun of me and, right. and just being little kids but as a result of what had happened i started having seizures and mm. and i re- i remember anytime you have a head trauma like that your body it's almost so much that your body can't handle it and so i remember vividly three or four Really big seizures that I had. One, I was on the couch at home, and I fell off the couch, and I, I just started shaking violently. And my parents rushed in, and you know, my father would secure my head, my mother would try to secure my legs, and they would try to to prevent me from hurting myself. And and I had a few that happened. A very big one that happened in my classroom at school, mm. where I fell out of my desk, and I was in the middle of the aisle and the teacher was having the, the students pull the chairs and and the desks away and they had to run down and grab the principal and and i remember just thinking why why is this happening and i would go in for cat scans or mris and and as a little boy i didn't realize and, and my mother would have me stay up late and she would say well you can't go to sleep because in order to do the CAT scan, they wanted you to be up for a full you know, 24 hours or whatever it was. And, and so they would say, we want you to stay up all night. And then first thing in the morning, we will take this image. And And I remember watching shows with my mother and just, mm. you know, why can't I go to sleep? You know, yeah. Please, I just want to go to sleep. And she would say, no, we just need to go in and get some tests done in the morning. And after I had had... A really violent seizure at home, falling off the couch again. I I remember a very amazing spiritual experience mm. where I was talking to my parents and and we were talking about the Lord blessing us and and my father gave me a priesthood blessing. And in that blessing, he blessed me that I would be perfectly fine that I would have no problems or repercussions as a result of this fall. And I believe he even blessed me that I would no longer have any seizures. Hmm. And from that day forward, I never had another seizure
0: at all. Wow. Gerald, that's amazing. What a blessing. What a blessing. I mean, holy cow. This is all this is all so amazing. And we haven't gotten into what you're most well known for. <laughs> um, so, so first of all, just huge, and I can only imagine how much that shaped your life since. Uh-huh. So, so moving on from that experience, you're alive, your head heals, your body heals, the seizures go away. Uh, what else were you into when you were growing up? And, and when did music become a part of your life? So for me, my father had actually
1: been a professional musician. Before mm. he joined the church, he's from Wisconsin. And before joining the church, he had been a professional musician. He was one of the singers with a group called Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians. They were essentially... <laughs> I love that name. That is
0: such a classic name from it's that era. Class,
1: from that era, it's such a classic yeah. name. And Red Waring and the Pennsylvanians—they were essentially to the East Coast what the Lawrence Welk show was to the West Coast. They had their own television show and radio, and they would perform all over the world and perform at the White House. And and it was actually while my father was performing, he ended up run well meeting a member of the church who started introducing him to what the church was. And and that's a different story altogether. But because my father had been a professional musician, it was essentially law in our home that we would play the piano to start off with. And my parents even wanted us to play at least two to three instruments. And they actually had us so convinced that it wasn't until third grade when I asked one of my friends what time they woke up in the morning to practice their instruments that my friend said, well, I don't play any instruments. He said, I play sports. And I said, well, I play sports too, but what, what about the instruments you're required to play? Because we just thought, this is what everyone does. They wake up and they they, they spend half an hour on the piano. They spend half an hour on the organ. You know, In, in sixth grade, at the end of fifth grade, I started getting into the orchestra and 6th grade I started playing the string bass so then I would go from piano to organ to the string bass all before going to school spending like 30 minutes on each instrument and my my parents had us convinced that this is just what every family this is just has. normal every kid normal. does this sure. every, every every kid practices their <laughs> instruments and they they even had a sign it, we we even thought of it like it was the 11th commandment, thou shalt play the piano, <laughs> closely followed by the 12th commandment, thou shalt not whine about playing the piano. My, my parents, you, you may remember those little timers that we would set and we would play oh, yes. the piano, and they would you know go from 30 minutes and tick all the way back until you get to zero. Well, we had that timer to help us do our full 30 minutes of practicing, and over to the piano... My parents actually had a sign that said "Thou shalt not whine," and it was about <laughs> practicing the piano.
0: <laughs> that is classic. That's awesome. So you you become this uh, incredible musician. Uh, this this all carries you through high school. Um, were, what what else were you into in high school other than music?
1: You know, and I I loved playing sports. I loved acting and doing theater and. And getting involved with clubs, I, I enjoyed art, and, and I especially enjoyed writing. Mm. I, I wrote a lot of stories, and I wrote poetry. And
0: So you get through high school, sounds like a pretty, pretty normal, other than the hours and hours of music, uh, uh-huh. pre- kind of a pretty normal high school experience. What came after high school? So after high school,
1: I actually graduated in 1999, and then right after graduation, I had an early birthday. So I was in September. My twin and I had received our mission calls. I was called to Brazil, speaking Portuguese. Mm
0: -hmm. And my twin
1: was called to Portugal, speaking Portuguese. (laughs) It was wonderful.
0: What city were you in?
1: So I was in Brasilia, DF, which is the capital of Brazil. Mm. But it covered several different areas. We awesome. went clear up almost by Mato Grosso, you know, clear up in the, the Amazon jungle. So it, it took in a lot.
0: That's wild. Awesome. So you serve a full full mission. You come home. What came next? So
1: after that, I started going to school. I started, of course, working full time. I was going to school full time at Weaver State University. And, and that is where I met my wife, Suzanne, anyone who knows her calls her Zanny. I was on the Institute Council, she was later on the Institute Council as well. We were in charge of a a concert that we were having. And it was funny, it was one of those moments where I was at the top of the stairs, she was at the bottom, our eyes met, we had a moment. And what was so interesting is since I have a twin brother, at first she she went to this concert with her mother and her sister, and, and they thought it was weird that the same person gave the opening prayer for the concert and gave the closing prayer, you know. <laughs> and then she realized, wait a second, there are two of them. So oh, that's classic. Kind of a, an interesting experience.
0: That's and great.
1: It, a few days later, she actually saw me playing the organ at one of our firesides, a uh, institute fireside that we had where we bring in speakers. And, and and then I, a few days later, the other side of heaven had just been released. And, and my wife, Zanny looks a lot like the lead actress. Mm. And so when I was trying to tell my family, we were in the movie theater trying to watch this. And I remember looking up and I said... You know, this girl that I met the other day, she looks a lot like, and I'm looking up, and then I look to my left, and I said, wait a second, that's the same girl. She was with her family on the same exact no. row no in way. movie theater where we were. And so it was one of those meant-to-be experiences. Oh, that's
0: awesome. But, so you guys start dating, you get married, and uh, did you end up graduating from Weber State? So I actually,
1: with Weber State, I was going into sales and marketing, mm. what my degree was in, and it's interesting because with all my years of musical training, you would think I would go into music, and what happened is I actually went to the music chair, and I had asked if I could clip out of some of the music theory classes, and started talking to him about some things I had done, and... And he said that I didn't need the music theory classes mm. and I could clap out. But then he told me that I'd have to pay for all of the credits as if I had taken the classes, even though I didn't need them. You want me to pay almost $6,000 <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for classes I'm not taking? And and so I, I didn't actually, you know, go into music, which is funny because you would have thought that I, I would. Sure. Yeah. And I actually started teaching piano lessons Mm. and and started that's kind of how I began in the music industry I started in music sales selling pianos and then because I would demonstrate the piano and play the piano for people then I had so many people that asked if I would teach them how to play piano so I started teaching piano lessons and that is how everything kind of started to evolve
0: Gerald that is so cool so when were you still thinking as you were teaching piano, were you still thinking, hey, I'm probably going to go into some sort of business, sales, marketing, or were you starting to think, hey, maybe there's a future for me in music?
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that or ask that because from the time I was in third grade, actually, and and this this is kind of a funny experience, John, by the way, and this was a while ago since I was in third grade, but he was a newly returned missionary. Hmm. And he was speaking at our elementary school. And he was doing motivational speaking. And, and then we had a performer who came and played the piano and was also doing some motivational speaking. I can remember in third grade, and I even wrote it in my journal and I was reading it to my children just a few weeks ago. As a third grader, I wrote when I grow up I want to write music books, write stories, and be a composer and speaker.
0: No way! Come on! In third At grade, you wrote that. Th-
1: third grade, I wrote that.
0: Oh my gosh! See, Gerald, I wrote down that I wanted to be an astronaut or something. I have no clue. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I wanted to be you know a starting forward on the Lakers. So I, I, I way missed it. You really said that, including writing music,
1: In, including writing music, and. I even started composing because, I mean, starting in 6th and 7th grade was when I really started composing music. So what happened when I started teaching piano lessons and we had just moved into our first home, we were living in Clinton, and I started getting more and more piano students, and I really felt that I needed to publish a book. And initially I thought, how am I going to publish a book? And it was interesting because as I went through... I thought about going with this publishing company or that publishing company. And then I had this far out idea, and I said, What if I create my own company and actually set up a company as both a publishing company and as a record label? And which, it, had I known how much work it would take, I may have <laughs> thought otherwise about that. But I decided sure. to, to set up a company, and initially I had called it Serenade because I was performing. When my wife and I were were first married, for the first few years, I performed at the Roof Restaurant. I was one of the piano players there, mm. and and I loved it because I would usually get a free meal while performing, and 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 I loved the environment, playing at the Roof Restaurant and taking requests. And sure, I just loved that entire experience, but. I had set up this company called Serenade where I would go and perform and and I would do weddings and and I would play at different events and and then I decided I wanted to start teaching piano lessons and come out with a music theory book. So I had my company and I I set up a company called Music Motivation because I thought I want to motivate and inspire piano students and piano teachers and I created my first book, An Introduction to Scales and Modes. And it just talked about scales, talked about modes. It wasn't too exciting of a book. I mean, it was okay. But then I came out with my second book, which was Variations on Mary Had a Little Lamb. And it was pretty much within the same year I came out with those two books. Because of those two books, I actually began having piano teachers from the area contact me, left and right, and they started telling me that they had piano students who hated the piano and wanted to quit, and they asked if they could send them my way. And so I said, sure, I don't want anyone to quit the piano. And little did I know that what was happening is, at the time I had about 40 or so piano students in my studio, and my studio more than doubled. At one point, I had almost 100 piano students, which no, no piano teacher should ever do.
0: That's a lot. <laughs>
1: that's, that, that's a lot of piano students. Sure. And, but the problem was, because I had been accepting these piano students who literally hated the piano, and it was as if I was the last-ditch effort for these piano teachers and these parents. So then I had an idea that completely changed the way I did business, changed everything I did. I remember with my first student of the day who was folding his arms and telling me he wasn't going to touch the piano, (laughs) I I remember I I turned to him and I said, what if I compose a song for you right now? You can tell me the style you want. You can tell me the key signature. You can tell me what notes to use. You can even say I want it to sound like a, a thriller or a pop or a techno or whatever style you want. And then I said, I will compose it during your lesson, and then I will go to the computer and I will quickly notate it and put it in Finale, which is the program I like to use to notate the software. And so I said, I will will compose it, and then I will print it out and send it home with you, but I want you to work on it since this is something that you are wanting me to compose. Wow. And it, it was just this... Light bulb went off where I thought, why not find out what they want to play? And then I'll compose something specifically for them that they can play for family and friends, and they can say, My piano teacher composed this for me.
0: Gerald, this blows my mind. Like, I cannot... I mean, I've done improv comedy for many years. So to me, getting up on stage and making up a scene, easy. The idea that you're making up entire songs for students just blows me away.
1: All day, every day, that was what I began doing. And it... I mean, it, it was wonderful because they would tell me... And I, I even had some students that they thought it was a game. I remember one student who said, you can only use four notes. And I said, come on, you know, you, you want me to compose something with four <laughs> notes? And, and he even said, I want it to sound like a video game. And, and finally, he did let me add one more note, but he, he selected the notes. He went over to the piano, and I have my keyboard here, and he did this. He just randomly played notes, but he said... <laughs> and he said, those four notes, I want you to compose... Something that sounds like video game music. And I said, please just give me one more note. And he did this. And he gave me a B. And I said, you have got to be kidding. You want me to compose something with that. And then he said, but that B, you can only play four times in the entire piece. No way. And I said, and and he thought it was a game. I mean, he really thought it was a game. And so I said, okay. Well, what if, with the right hand, we just rock back and forth from C to G, and I go to the B only four times with the right hand, and with the left hand, I follow this C, A flat, F, G, and we just change the rhythm a bit. And he said, okay. And so I started to compose this, and we started by doing did an octave interval and we just composed this the song and I quickly composed it you are kidding me that blows me away that was so amazing you're very kind but what I did is I, I quickly composed it and then I went and I put it down on the computer and I printed the piece out and I said, okay, I want you to take this home and I want you to to work on it. Now remember, this is a student who said, I hate the piano. I I don't ever want to touch the piano again. The next week, not only when he came back, had he mastered and perfected this, which we ended up calling it game over because remember, he liked video game music. We called (laughs) it game over and not only had he perfected it and mastered it, he had played it for everyone in his family, aunts, uncles, everyone. And he had even started performing it for his friends. And he brought one of his friends to the piano lesson. And his friend asked if he could start taking piano lessons from me. <laughs> and with, with every single student who I would compose these, they have become known as cool songs. Because I would ask every student what they thought of the piece after they had worked on it for a week. And every student said, I think it sounds Cool. So they became known as cool songs. And then I started adding minus tracks, guitars, drums, keyboard synth, sound effects, where they could start to play with a background orchestra. Essentially I was playing every single instrument, but they could play along and it's like the ultimate (laughs) the ultimate metronome that a student can instead of playing with a click they're playing with a guitar and a saxophone and and a full band
0: wow that is unbelievable so when did you think to take these cool songs and uh put them together into a book well
1: because i had so many students and because this is all i was doing every day within about a week i had almost a hundred cool songs that had been composed and they they were just random, you know, some were intermediate level, some were advanced, some were beginner or primer level. And so I started putting them into a book because I actually had piano teachers who began contacting me because some of my students were actually children of piano teachers. And I had piano teachers who began contacting me and saying, my my child is playing this really cool piano piece. And he said you composed it during his lesson. Is there any way that I can start using that with my piano students and and teaching my piano students? So I thought, I I better start putting these into a book. And and thankfully, I started compiling them according to levels. And I came up with Cool Songs Primer Level, Cool Songs Book 1, Book 2, Book 3, and then Cool Songs That Rock, Book 1, Book 2, and... And I started composing more and more and I think I have an additional almost 100 cool songs that aren't even in any books yet. I actually put oh. it into a cool song series on my website at musicmotivation.com slash cool songs. I put everything together where they can actually watch video lessons where I teach them how to play the cool song. They can play along with the minus track and, and they can just go through and, and start performing for family and friends. So it's a fun way to learn to play the piano. I refer to it as piano fundamentals. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Emphasis on the word fun. Yeah, sure. How like how rewarding is it to see a kid like I you know and God bless my parents, you know, uh, amazing parents wanted their kids to play piano and it was the worst half hour of my week and I never <laughs> practiced and I've I've mentioned on this show many times. I am legitimately tone deaf. Like I had a world-class music teacher tell me I was tone deaf. So I, I I hated it. So I understand that and could not wait to be done. How rewarding is it to take a kid like me and open their eyes to how awesome music is?
1: It was so rewarding for me personally, because to have these students at in the beginning they would fold their arms they would sit on the piano bench and they would say i will not play the piano and then within just a few weeks i couldn't get them to stop playing the piano they loved it so much and and what had shifted the piano didn't change it, what had shifted is their appreciation of mm. what they could do with the piano and it, it was. I wanted to empower them. I wanted to help them get excited to play the piano, not because I wanted them to play what I wanted them to, to learn. So they they really started to connect with the music, and every now and then, uh, I would get them down and say, "Okay, let's do push-ups." You know, try to to break the routine or do something <laughs> to, to to get them focused. But but I also wanted them to not just do music, but I wanted them to open up and tell me what their goals were. And, and I, I think it was a shift for them. In I, I have about 20, I think almost 27 music books now. In all of my music books, I have on page three, it has a little introduction. And this is what it says in every single one of my music books. If you go... In the books you'll, you'll see what it says. I have a message from me to the piano students and the parents. And it says this. If you come to piano lessons each week and walk away only having learned about music notation, rhythm, and dots on a page, then I have failed as a music mentor. Life lessons are just as important, if not more important, than music lessons. I would rather have you learn more about goal setting and achieving, character, dedication, and personal improvement. To have you learn to love music, appreciate it, and play it is a wonderful byproduct you will have for the rest of your life, a talent that will enrich your life and the lives of others. To become a better musician is wonderful and important, but to become a better person is more important. And, and that is what I feel.
0: I, I think there's a great gospel principle here, too, in that we sometimes get lost in teaching our kids when when we want to teach them the gospel, we're focused on, you know, follow the word of wisdom. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't watch bad movies. Don't swear. Don't stay out too late. Don't be inappropriate with the opposite sex. You know, whatever it is. It's a is. Don't, don't, don't. And then we also go, well, gee, why don't you love the gospel? You know, instead of, hey, you can pray, you can talk to your heavenly father, you can feel inspired, you can feel clean, you can repent, and all the good things that the church and the gospel has to offer. And and this is, you know, what you're doing with piano. It's the same instrument. It's just two different ways to look at it. Um, If people want to know more, where's the best place for them to go? So they can go to my website, which is
1: musicmotivation.com. I have a YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Gerald Simon.
0: G- that's yep. And you have and tons you can- of lessons on there. Like, you have a lot of content on YouTube.
1: I have a lot of content. I, I started looking at how many videos I've uploaded, and I thought, I don't know how all these videos got up there. But we, I think we're almost at half a million or almost a million yeah a little over half a million you know different views and i mean just a lot of unbelievable content up there but i i also have and this is kind of a separate thing because with my music i started doing and my piano students always laugh because i have about 12 different albums that i've come out with and some are instrumental piano music some are Techno pop, Some are hymn arrangements. Others are, I have a scary Halloween album. So (laughs) they they know if I come out with a scary Halloween album, then after I'll come out with a meditation album. You know, a very soothing, relaxing, something that you would listen to if you went to a spa. So I have a lot of different styles and genres out there. But I have a lot of my motivation self-help poetry books that I've come out with as well. But they can, I was going to say, they they can find those anywhere. If they go on Amazon, they can type in my name and they can search. If they go on any of the Pandora, Spotify, they can listen to my music on any of the social streaming sites out there.
0: That is just awesome. Gerald, you're doing so much good. Um, Before I get to the final question that we ask all of our guests, you just take a moment and talk about the connection. I mean, when you think about sacrament meeting, we we basically sacrament meeting kind of has three components: the sacrament, which is the most important. You know, it's the renewal of our covenants. There's a an uplifting message, a couple of uplifting message messages, and then there's music, which tells me if in the most uh, important regular weekly meeting that we have and leading into the sacrament we don't hear an inspiring talk we hear music like that's how important it is what is the connection between music and god music in the spirit and music in the church perfect thank you that's a
1: beautiful question music in my opinion music has such a sacred place and position in, in our lives, in everything we do. My my father used to say, and his mission president would say this as well, that a good church meeting consists of great speaking and less of it and amazing music and more of it. <laughs> and there, there's a lot of truth to that because Music is the universal language. There, there are two universal languages that transcend all cultures, all languages, barriers. The one is music. You do not need to speak French or Chinese or Japanese or Portuguese to understand what the music is doing for your soul. It, it's universal. The second is a smile. A smile mm. Is a universal language that everyone can speak, regardless of where you live, regardless of your standing, your social, economic, you know, whatever your background, a smile, and music. Those are the two things that it's a universal language. And whenever we hear music, good, uplifting music performed in church, it's a testimony. It it is someone speaking through the power of music and they are sharing their faith in God. They are sharing their belief, their testimony. And you can feel with the music, you can feel the highs and you can feel the lows. You know, in, in some of my hymn albums that I've come out with, some of the hymns that I have arranged, like A Poor Wayfaring Man of Grief, Mm. In my hymn arrangement of A Poor Wayfaring Man of Grief, I, I, I've been to Carthage. I, I've been in that prison cell. Mm. I've been to the Liberty Jail. I, I, I've seen you know, those experiences. And so when I was arranging A Poor Wayfaring Man of Grief, at first I played the first two verses in a major key, but then... When we get to the verse where it says, In prison I saw him next condemned to meet a traitor's doom at Morn. I put that into a minor key. Because Mm -hmm. you can feel as if that tension, that sorrow is there. But then when it goes to the chorus and it talks about the Savior, I go back to the major key. And it's that transition. Instantly when you listen, it's as if you are transported from our own personal suffering and sorrow and tribulations, just as what Joseph Smith experienced, and then you're turned to the Savior. And you see hope. And you Mm. feel. And that's what music does. You, You start to hear and feel a change. And that change, for me personally, it's becoming a new creature in Christ. It's turning my old lifestyle over repenting and turning it over to the Lord, my my children always laugh. Because since I I do a lot of motivational speaking and go around and speak to to different groups and organizations, I will usually talk about motivational ideas. And one thing that, if you ask my children, they instantly can respond with this because they've heard me say it so many times, and it's because of my fall when I fell off the cliff as an eight-year-old boy. My personal motto has always been, when we fall down, we get back up. <laughs> and so my, my my children, whenever I say, when we fall down, they instantly know I'm going to say, we get back up. And whether we have fallen down physically, whether we have, we have fallen down spiritually, emotionally, we all stumble, we all trip, we all fall, we yeah. all make mistakes, we all are imperfect. But we can reach for that perfect outstretched hand. And our yeah. our our savior can save
0: us. So I think you our... may have answered I think you may have answered the last question as well. Which, oh wow. Well. That, that was stunning and beautiful. But anything else you want to add to the final question, which is what does being a member of the church mean to you? I feel like we just got a lot of that.
1: Well, thank you. I being a member of the church for me, it it really is everything. And, in part, because I think of my father, who sacrificed everything to become a member. Mm. Initially, he was disowned by his family, and he was the first Catholic in his family ever to join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and truthfully, the first of the family to leave Catholicism, and... And that was a very, very difficult experience for him personally. And my mother had a very similar difficult experience. And yet, they both, because of their faith, because of their love, everything that they did for us, it was to help point us to the Savior. And my, my My father, he actually became a seminary teacher and then an institute teacher. And so he... Since he had not had these experiences of being a member of the church, he started looking to the prophet and the apostles and saying, "What did they do, and how can I take their family traditions and incorporate them into mine?" So the the church and the gospel for me, it's it's everything. It means that is
0: awesome. Yeah. He is a husband, a father, he is a piano teacher, he is a musician, a composer, a published author, a speaker. My gosh, I could spend the next 10 minutes just with all the things that you do, Gerald. Uh But uh, also just an amazing member of our church, Gerald Simon, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. Thank you so much. My special thanks to my new friend Gerald Simon. He is just an amazing guy. You know, sometimes you just sense goodness from people, (laughs) you just get a feeling that someone really has a good soul. That's Gerald. He just exudes goodness, and I'm so grateful uh, for the chance that we had to sit and talk. Gerald, thanks for all you're doing to make the world a better place. Uh, This week in my latter day life, uh, I've been doing a lot of pondering and a lot of thinking, and a lot of this was uh, sparked. By some recent meetings I've attended that have been tremendous meetings. And, and in these meetings, we've talked about how do we make the church more open and how do we make people feel more comfortable to come into the church. And as we've talked about experiences and, and we've discussed, you know, experiences people have had where they haven't felt necessarily welcome or comfortable. It got me really pondering because I feel like I am so non judgmental and I'm so open minded and so open. I'm not the problem, it's other people that are the problem. And the more that I've really thought about this concept, the more I've prayed, I've had to stop and really analyze do I have biases? I do. Of course I do. And sorry to break this to you, but you do too. All of us, we make some judgments that are not quite righteous. And as I've sat thinking about all these things and how can I do more of my part to make everyone, literally everyone, feel welcome to walk into our church and to participate in the blessings that the gospel of Jesus Christ has to offer, I've had to confront in my own self maybe there are some biases there. Yes. And sometimes I think we think to ourselves, well, people when they come to church should look a certain way or, you know, Latter-day Saints are a certain way and they have to do things a certain way. And even after this this show, this experience I've had now, 160 times sitting down with all different types of Latter-day Saints, I think there are still some things baked in of, of how I think things should be or how I think people should act. And it's nothing to do with the gospel. It's nothing real. It's that these things have been ingrained in me over the course of my life through different experiences we've had. And we all have different experiences that shape our lives and shape the way we look at the world. But for us to project those things on others, that is going to stop the progress of the church. So I've had to do a deep dive, deep, deep down into my soul and try to recognize What are some of the judgments I make? And some of them are funny. Some of them are like, yeah, I really struggle with people who do this or that or who uh, act a certain way or are a certain way. We got to get rid of that stuff. That's the stuff that will stop our own progression. It will stop us from openly really loving and really freely giving and welcoming everybody into the church of Jesus Christ. And it suddenly dawned on me that it's not just enough to learn and to learn to love more, and to learn to be more open, and more giving. But I have to unlearn. I have to get to the point where I don't look at certain people and think, oh, yep, uh uh-huh, they're a certain way, or, you know, all these judgments that we have. And again, they're very natural, but it will stop our progression. It will stop our church from growing. And I am committed to this process of unlearning, of realizing that a lot of the things I think about different people are just not true. They're stories I tell myself, and a lot of times I tell myself these stories to feel better about myself. And that has to change, because that's not how Christ treats us. No, instead, Christ treats us as his brother. And we are all brothers and sisters. That's why we say brother and sister when we get there. That should not be reserved for the elect few. It should be given out freely and to all. And so I am committed now. I am committed to unlearning. And I pray that Heavenly Father will help me to unlearn these biases that are so deep down and so a part of who I am. I want to unlearn those things so that I can learn to love more, learn to give more, and learn to welcome more. And that's what's happening this week in my latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We really, truly appreciate it. If you know someone who would enjoy the show, if you wouldn't mind sharing it with them, that would just be great. And if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen, those reviews sure do help the show to grow. Uh, We are on Facebook and on Instagram. We'd love for you to follow us there. We're always announcing uh, upcoming guests or different things that we have going on with the show. So please come and follow us on, on social media. Well, I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.